The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and my guest today is Donna Brooks of Original Body Wisdom. Donna is a somatic movement therapist in addition to many other titles, which we'll get into in a little bit. But welcome, Donna. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you and um, my good friend, our good friend, Michael Garfield Wright connected us, um, who was on the show a long time ago um, when I first took over, about two years ago, I think. And he's the founder of Chunks of Energy. So we're giving him a little shout out for connecting us because he's such a super connector. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Um, And you and I knew each other um, formerly. Um, It's been a while, but I think when I used to own Jackson and Connor and we used to attend WBOA events, the... Women's Business Owners Alliance events together in like 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, we knew each other. Yeah, yeah. That's, you have a great memory. Uh, well, you helped. You helped. <laughs> okay. um, so thank you for that. And so 40 years, right? You've been practicing healing arts for 40 years. That's that's pretty amazing. What drew you to healing arts? Did you always know that this was your calling and your passion and you're going to be your life's work? Um, Okay, so I was in college. And so on the surface, the story is I was a dancer and I injured myself and I started studying yoga and I was really wowed. You know, it's like, this is, I want to do this. I want to study this. I want to teach this. Also, what happened in college is I got very radicalized. So I'll tell a funny story. I went to the, you know, they didn't call them guidance counselors, career counselors. I went to uh, SUNY Stony Brook. And she told me, as far as she could tell from my interests and aptitudes, my options were to go to grad school, you know, because I was a good student, or to join a commune. Oh. So (laughs) so I was like, oh, my God. You're like, what if I want to go in between those two bookends? Yeah, you're like, hello, like, this is kind of big. I was already, you know, in late 70s already like really like down on corporations and really critiquing capitalism and um, I'm going to do a shout out to my son who is deceased but my son was getting kind of famous when he died he's Michael Brooks and he had his own podcast the Michael Brooks show he was also the co-host of the majority show with Sam Cedar kind of got a start here in Northampton and um, yeah so we have similarities and um, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do professionally at all. I was burned out on school. I didn't want to go to grad school. And uh, so I started teaching yoga. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear about your son, Thank Michael. You. Yeah, Thank you. and I think I saw that either in one of our correspondences mm-hmm. or maybe on your website somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was 2020. That was 2020, yeah. So that's a hard thing. That's a very hard thing. A harder thing. That's hardest. uh, Yes, hardest. Hard times. Hardest thing. Yes, hardest thing. Absolutely. So sending you some healing energy from over my seat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you you found yoga. You were trying to, to find your way in life. And so what path did you choose after you were in the career counselor's office? Um, well, I guess I went on kind of a wild and wacky trip with my ex-husband, 
that had a lot of really interesting <laughs> adventures with different healers and workshops and spiritual teachers and all that, good and bad. Um, and I kept up my yoga practice. And I also, though, really felt a need to move. And because, you know, yoga is so stagnant, it's, it's getting less stagnant now. And I found um, different types of somatic movement. So I was living in Washington, D.C., and I used to go take classes at the Feldenkrais Center there. Um, I got interested in also some Hana somatics, had some time with Thomas Hana personally, and uh, did some other more obscure stuff. I did something called Middendorf breath work, which no one's ever heard of. Um, so... so- well, Still I, no never even, I never questioned. I think it was just really obscure. <laughs> well, um, you know it's obscure when however many years yeah, later, no one, yeah, no one no, still no knows about I mean, it. Yeah. The popular thing at the time was rebirthing, which I never taught or really used, but that was, you know, something I experienced and explored. And um, so I just started integrating somatic movement into yoga, which now is becoming really popular um, but I was already doing that. I would say like in the early 90s, I started doing that. And there have been a lot of twists and turns in my life. Um, there's been some really hard stuff even before my son died. But um, I kept myself doing what really feels more like a vocation to me. Well, there's something about being with people and being present with them in such a way that they can experience life through the body um, and that sounds like so basic, you know, like, oh, we, of course we experience life through the body because like, you know, you eat food, you like it, you know, <laughs> you go to the movie theaters, you know, so if the seat is comfortable or not. But it's a different thing. Um, like with somatic movement, what we're really trying to do is find ease in the body and find integration in the body. So often people come to me because they're in pain. Um, maybe they have a certain problem like, pelvic floor issues or back issues or walking issues and they've done a lot of PT they've done or they don't want to do exercise (laughs) and weight training (laughs) and all that and there's something about helping people gently explore possibilities for more smooth and easy movement in the body that brings this ease and fullness that you experience physically, but it also has an emotional, mental component. So tell me, for people that are listening um, that might not know, somatic movement is defined as what to you? Somatic movement, I actually wrote this down because it is hard to define it. Um, A lot of people use the the reference to Thomas Hanna, who just describes it as the experienced body versus the objectified body. But today I was thinking um, what it does is it lets you feel into better and pain-free function. And you do this through sensing. So rather than looking externally, like, you know, when you might go to a, a movement class and they'd say like, you know, we'll put one foot here, put the other foot here, then bend and bend like this. And you're trying to match an ideal mm-hmm. that's being explained to you or being modeled to you. And in somatics, we're actually trying to find this place of integration, balance, and better function through us being able to feel it, sense it in ourselves mm. from the inside out 
instead of um, putting it on from the outside in. That's so, having to turn on a lot of internal receptors. A I think. lot of internal receptors. There's a lot of study right now about interoception um, and how interoception helps people with all kinds of distress patterns that we might have in different layers and levels of our lives. But yeah, you're you're really honing this other sense that for a lot of us, we don't really feel until there's something that we can't deny feeling. That's usually externally triggered. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, you know, so there might be, as you delve into somatics, you can start to notice like, pre-back hurt <laughs> kind of situations where you know that whatever you're doing, how you're moving, or what situations you're putting yourself into is going to create a sore back. Mm -hmm. Where the opposite end of that is having no awareness, and then you don't notice anything until all of a sudden your back is out and you can't get up out of bed. Mm -hmm. So it's it helps to hone into the subtle cues that your body is always giving you so you don't have to wait until there's something really dramatic um, that would happen. And so, you know, I, I feel like a lot of us are not in tune with ourselves, with our bodies. And why do you think that is? Well, I think our culture really has separated out the mind and the body. We, you know, that famous, what was it, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Like we identify ourselves with our mental understanding and our mental creations. And we think the body's kind of like a vehicle that carries our brains around. And I see it more as an integrated organism. You know, it's like an ecology. Like our, our thinking mind can dominate certain parts of the ecology. You know, it's really important we're using it right now. Um, but everything is really meant to be worked together in a smooth kind of way. Mm -hmm. Symbiotic. Yeah, it's symbiotic, and um, each part of our body kind of has its own qualities. You know, like when we're really feeling our muscles, that gives us a different quality than when we're feeling the connective tissue that binds us together or the rotations of our bones, and all these things inform us how to feel better and be better in ourselves physically, emotionally, and mentally. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that, you know, you're trying to prescribe or teach this to people, um, and I'm really excited to sort of hear more about that um, when we come back from our break. Um, but this is Tara Brewster, and you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Donna Brooks from Original Body Wisdom, who has a office at the Tend Body Workspace at 186 Northampton Street in East Hampton. So um, we'll be right back. Thank you so much. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Donna Brooks of Original Body Wisdom in East Hampton, Massachusetts. And we've been talking about her over 40 years in healing arts as a somatic movement therapist, educator, yoga therapist, embodied educator, mediator, counselor, meditator. and coach. Oh, meditator, counselor, <laughs> and coach. Um, well, we were just talking about fighting, so maybe uh, that's yeah. why the mediation <laughs> thing came up. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think 
um, we would love to know, I would love to know, if I was to come in to you for a somatic movement session, what would that look like? Well, if you were coming for the first time, there's a period where we're going to talk about what is troubling you, what's brought you to see me. So for some people, it's a physical issue that hasn't resolved itself. For other people, they're aware of stress patterns, trauma, feelings of grief or loss that they're just not getting enough help from uh, working with mentally, psychologically, or emotionally. It's very common that people come and say, I feel like whatever this issue is that I'm having of stress or loss or trauma, it's in my body. Mm. Um, I've, I've also am just since COVID, um, and I should also say, I also do this work on Zoom because I, I people have approached me during COVID. I work with people out of the area over Zoom. It's amazed me what I could see on Zoom. Um, and But coming back to COVID, a lot more people seem to recognize that somehow they're not really living in their bodies, that there's mm. a disconnection between themselves and their body. So it can be as simple as that. So whatever it is, we find out why the person is there. And then I do different things to target what might be most important to helping them begin to resolve the challenges. So it's most likely going to involve very gentle movements that are approached with a sense of curiosity. So rather than a sense of like, okay, this is my mission and this is what I have to do. It's like, how are you doing this? What are you feeling when you do it? Can you maintain a sense of curiosity? And it's interesting because even maintaining curiosity that starts to let a lot of stress and tension go. It's very rare we approach ourselves with even just trying to feel from the inside and be non-judgmental about it. Um, I also work with things like gravity and volume and so that the body has volume, not like, oh my gosh, I'm looking in the mirror and I see my volume, that's terrible, but like actually inhabiting volume and gravity and what that does to your movement, both for relaxation and for movement. Um, we might do particular patterns that have resonance with our development as children, like in the first year of life or development from, if you will, when you know we evolve from animals. Um, I'm so happy. I, live, I lived in Washington, D.C. I couldn't say that even in the 80s. That was a no-no for a lot of people. This is the precursor to what we see now. And um, so it's gentle, mm -hmm. and it's really focused on having the whole body integrate together in movement. And so is there a thread in these conversations that you have with people about when they sort of become disconnected from self? You know, is there like an age range? Is it youth? Is it adolescence? Is it young adulthood? Um, you know, because I feel like most of the people I know are are disconnected. Yeah. From either yeah. like mind or spirit or body yeah. or all three. <laughs> at, I mean, at various times in the day. Some people trace things back to very specific incidences, um, you know, in childhood or early childhood. Some people might feel like they were connected to a certain point of their life and related to school. Some people have something that's really caused an abrupt disconnection, like a Parkinson's diagnosis or a stroke or um, a car accident that, you know, they feel they've never recovered from. 
Um, and yeah, I agree. I think that we live in a world where we're encouraged to just operate from, you know, the neck up. There's a little permission to have some feeling, you know, especially if you're like a parent, you're allowed to feel, but mostly it's just your head and uh, the body's just supposed to operate so it can take us, take us where our heads want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I liked something that you said about um, what you can see on Zoom. So what can you see on Zoom? What are you what are you paying attention to? Are you looking at the body? Are you looking at energy? I probably am looking at energy too. I don't really have training there, but I know I feel that and people remark about that to me. Um, but I can see where maybe there's not flow in the body. Because like... It's like even like opening up. So this is very basic. This isn't really, you know, people coming for trauma or disconnection so much. Say someone's always got a really bad shoulder pain and neck pain. And I could see that immediately if they go to open a door, they pull up their shoulder towards their ear versus using their hands to actually navigate the movement and then let the kind of impulse of the movement go from their hands all the way up into their their shoulder and then their neck as a sequence that's integrated rather than, okay, I got to open the door <laughs> and tensing up. So that kind of stuff is, is pretty easy to see. And do you feel like people are accepting of the way that you instruct them and the way that the, the I, sessions go? I think I have a pretty big bandwidth for hearing where people are at and not judging them um, and being kind and compassionate. So that really makes a difference because yes, a lot of these kind of patterns that we've laid down, they come with a certain defensiveness because we've gotten them because something wasn't working right. Like it might be as simple as falling off of a bicycle and never your knee never functioning well again, or it might be that as an infant, you didn't go through all the stages of crawling, but you learned to compensate anyway, but there's always this like terror and fear of knowing something was wrong and something was not done, and it could be very emotional. And so you've talked about breath a little bit um, and your own experience yeah. with breath. <laughs> yeah. um, jellyfish. Yeah. Do you want to talk about being a jellyfish? Yeah, or? sure. So, um, so I did a lot of yoga and taught a lot of yoga. And so there's a lot of breathing techniques in yoga, and some of them are appropriate for certain things and others are appropriate for other things. But the curiosity to me, um, which actually just kind of came upon me, is how does the diaphragm actually work? So the diaphragm's the the primary breathing muscle um, of the respiratory system. And it's located underneath your lungs, inside of your rib cage, and it's curiously shaped like a jellyfish. And it operates like a jellyfish. Like, I know we're not on camera, but I'm doing this motion where I'm, like, using my hands in this kind of arch and then letting the arch get a little flatter on the inhale, let it come back up on the exhale. And that's, like, a shortcut that helps some people. You know, there are different things that help different people. But it's a shortcut for people to just start to feel the organic nature of this roundness. So diaphragmatic breathing is different to belly breathing. Because belly breathing, you're trying to inflate your belly, 
I understand why people do it because when we're stressed, we don't, we pretty much just breathe as minimally as possible in our upper chest. But your system functions best if your diaphragm is actually moving in this, let's say, 360 circle. And that is reflective of the jellyfish's head coming down, the jellyfish's head coming up. I'm doing it right now. Yeah, how does it feel for you? <laughs> it feels really good. Well, I mean, I you know I am um, a person who does not breathe deeply in a day. I think partially because of my movement, I am always moving, and when I'm sitting, I'm usually either eating or talking or mm-hmm, working. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the the deep breathing doesn't really happen unless I'm being intentional about yeah. it. Um, yeah. So you someone talking about breath. Maybe doing a class or a yoga or a massage or something, I will I will instantly just drop down to that space. But I sure wish I could do it regularly. Oh, I think that first of all, I, I this idea of deep breathing. I think we need to think more of like full breathing because if you're running up a hill, there's a lot more demand to breathe deeply. You know, if you're delivering a baby <laughs> there's but if we're just like sitting reading a book like the diaphragm still needs to move and to work you're not you know just kind of huffing breath in and out through your chest you want your diaphragm to work but it doesn't have to be that deep it has to be full so it has a lot to do and there's so much to breathing and i'm just going to say i have a really great course that i want to talk about if we can about breathing but there's so much to breathing um but foundationally, this jellyfish's movement, that is the kind of anchor, let's call it right now the anchor to the rest of your respiratory system. So when you're actually getting movement, and you can tell if the jellyfish is moving because your lower, your lower ribs um, will move. Awesome. All right. Well, we have to take a break. This is Tara Brewster. You're listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Donna Brooks. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Donna Brooks of Original Body Wisdom. You can find out more about her and her practice at originalbodywisdom.com. And she's also in East Hampton in the Tend Body Workspace. Um, And we've been talking a lot about, you know, somatic embodiment and breathing in, breathing out, having a mental connection, an energetic connection, a body connection. And what happens when we fall out of that, um, either through pain or lived experience, trauma, Um, but you know, if people are starting to embody the practices that you're teaching them, you know, how does that show up, you know, in their patterns and their behavior? What does that look like? Well, for many people, how it shows up is that the pain subsides or goes away. And that's just a major point of it. For other people, they for instance, can walk further or faster, or they find some hope and control in in preventing more prolapse or discomfort in their pelvic floors. For other people, there's kind of a, 
don't know if it's really a resolution of trauma. It's a way of being able to live with trauma without being overwhelmed by it because there's much, much more resource in the body. And the same thing goes for grief or loss or just overwhelm of stress. You just have a bigger bandwidth and more resilience to come with you <laughs> as you navigate the difficulties of life. Um, and so are they coming to see you in conjunction probably with other practitioners that they might be utilizing? Definitely a lot of people come to me more for work with trauma and that kind of thing are also in psychotherapy, for sure. Often I'll even, though I will get people who are in PT and feel like they need more help, like the PT is not quite handling um, what they need in terms of their body movement. So yes, it's not uncommon. People are coming with other practitioners in their basket as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. And so you said breath. Is breath sort of the core container of the work that you do? Or would you say the physical movement? Well, the physical movement and breath are really related because one of the things is people with anxiety often have a very hard time focusing on breath, like focusing the actual act of focusing on breath. So almost everyone knows now, like, okay, I better breathe better if I'm gonna try to relax and calm not be myself stressed, down. calm myself down. Yeah. But people in acute anxiety or who have had long time chronic anxiety often do not want to go near their breath. As soon as they look at their breath, there can be feelings of panic. So the movement, mm. And this is really interesting. You can enter the body from breath. And why I'm really bringing it up is because I have this great little breath course I just did for my students. And, you know, it's online and people can purchase it. It's like $29 and it's a really good foundation and it gives uh, meditation with it. And when we do these movements, this type of movement, the breath will naturally begin to regulate itself. So you don't need to approach through the breath. You can approach to the breath. You can approach through movement. You can approach through simply sensing and feeling. And it all comes together to not so much create new habits, but to take away what's gotten in your way of having, I hate to use the word natural, I can't think of a better word, the natural functioning of your body, kind of how our systems are built is really pretty cool and does a lot to support us. But because of our life experiences, because of our culture itself, we get into bad habits that inhibit our well-being. So we're not actually doing what we're meant to do as the humans that we're all walking around as and yeah. we need to yeah. unlearn things. Exactly. We need to unlearn. Yeah. That's a lot of what I'm doing is I'm helping people unwind habits of constriction and restriction and pain and stress and anxiety and fear and trauma. Hmm. And so you said sort of the course on breathing is not only a breathing course, but a, a movement course. Um, in Yes, when I teach breathing, it's not just breathing. There's some movement to it. In the, the course I was referencing that people can, can attain, obtain on my website, it is mostly focused on breathing. There's a little bit of movement. Um, but yes, if people come in and see me, we might not do any breathing at all to actually get you to have a fuller, um, 
more resilient breath. And so will you tell everyone your website again so yeah. they can know where to find that? It's originalbodywisdom.com, and you have to go under courses. There's a little tab on the top that says courses, and you could also sign up for my newsletter there as well. And so when you see people, do you typically see them one-on-one? Do you see them in a group setting? Like, what is your typical entry point? Well, I do see a lot of people one-on-one. For many people, it's preferable because it's so personal and individual. I also have um, weekly classes over Zoom. And those classes usually focus on a particular thing like shoulder pain or how does my head balance on my neck? Or how do I balance my nervous system so I can chill out a little bit? Well, how do my feet work? How can I get rid of foot pain and have a better gait? So those uh, classes are ongoing through the year except for the summer. Great group of people have been in those classes. And, you know, people go in and out, but there is a really great core. I also offer workshops on walking and pelvic floor health. And recently, I've just started offering some embodiment for grief and loss um, because what I noticed is that in my recovery from extreme loss, it really had a lot to do with being able to be in my body and trust the process through my body. And many people remarked to me that they never had that, that that doesn't happen typically in you know, grieving groups. And I, I see it as integrated. I mean, I think it's great. You know, you have to journal and, you know, or do art if that speaks to you, um, talk about it. But that really getting down into your experience in your body is often missing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I lost my mom at 16 and, you know, the subsequent years after, it was about exiting my body, right? Like being outside of my body so that I wasn't experiencing the actual like pain and grief and yeah. suffering, yeah. Um, which is not the way to do it. I would not subscribe to that at all. I think being in your body and going through it is definitely um, a much better uh, way to process. And for sure. you, you need the conditions to feel it. And we can also talk about that. That's really related to fight, flight and freeze, because if you don't have the conditions, either through your own experience or you don't have a bigger community holding you, it's really hard to stay in your body when you experience such extreme shock Mm -hmm. and loss and Mm -hmm. deprivation. I I completely agree. And, um, you know, you talk a lot about um, the pelvic floor. Are you seeing a lot of of women that are having this experience of a certain age? Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, Well, like everything else that happens, I've had my own share of pelvic floor difficulties. But I think that, and and I want to say we live in an amazing area with pelvic floor practitioners. There are some really great um, people here. And the kind of women's pelvic floor has been ignored. It's been just something like, as yeah, as you age, like, things are going to happen. It's going to be uncomfortable and unpleasant and you should just like learn to live with it. Um, And that is really changing. There's a great tide in changing that. And just like the other work that I do, my work is not so much, you know, muscular exercise for pelvic floor, although sometimes it's really important for people to have exercises. And if what they need is beyond my scope, I definitely refer out to some of the wonderful pelvic floor PTs we have. But I want people, women in particular, to experience 
the natural movements of their pelvis through their own self-sensing and come to understand how, especially with prolapse, you're not supposed to just be gripping all the time. You don't even need to be obsessed by your exercises all the time. You have to understand how you sit, how you bend, how you walk. Those things are key to rebuilding a pelvic floor and maintaining a healthy pelvic floor. Um, so the same somatic principles that might apply to a backache apply to pelvic floor issues, plus the acceptance issue. Usually when we, we as women start to have pelvic floor issues, it's like a assault on our femininity. And that itself starts to cause kind of a stress response lockdown that isn't just psychologically and emotionally painful, it actually impedes your breathing and your breathing is very connected to your pelvic floor. Mm. And I feel as a culture, we have never really talked about menopause in a real way either. Um, so there's that whole piece of it too. Um, yeah. Sort of, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about getting older, the whole We're not beauty supposed culture. to get older. Yeah, the whole like, you know, <laughs> cosmetics industry older. is like, like preventing sin. us from, from getting older. So God forbid we have pelvic so floor like, issues. She's amazing um, for her age. I know, exactly. Like, no, you're not that old, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, anyways, it's time for another break. So we're going to do that. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Donna Brooks of Original Body Wisdom. And we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Donna Brooks um, and she is a somatic healer. Um, Just someone who really is so in tune with the mind and the energy and the body. Um, just, it's been really great to talk to you about all the things that you do and all the people that you help. Um, you have a website, originalbodywisdom.com, and you're also in East Hampton, on uh, Northampton Street. Um, so people can find you at both of those places. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking a little bit about just how the response is, a human response to, to a situation or to trauma. Um, fight, flight, and freeze. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what you were thinking of in terms of this work? Yeah, so so this is very popular now. I'm not the only one speaking this way. But it's this idea that um, when we were early humans, like, say, living on the savanna, and a crisis came, we would have to fight, flight, or freeze. So say, you know, there was a snake, a big snake. Maybe immediately you froze, made yourself, you know, not visible to the snake, and that was adaptive, it protected you. Or maybe you um, could run away, you knew you could outrun the snake, so you would just run, and that would be, first one would be freeze, the second one would be flight, or maybe you would just kill the snake. You know, you would fight with it. And so the idea is that we would have these experiences and then we would go and get back to our tribe and, you know, you'd get hugged. Maybe you'd sing. You'd have some good food and you could kind of discharge (laughs) (laughs) all of this fight and flight and freeze. Let it go. Yeah. And, and, And also built into this was our brains kind of started thinking negative first because maybe it wasn't a snake at all maybe it was just a stick 
but it was more adaptive to confuse the stick for a snake than the snake for a stick. Mm -hmm. So now fast forward here. Oh my God, that car is going to hit me. Oh my God, like who's that guy on the corner? He reminds me of my ex-husband. Oh my God, I just listened to the news. I think World War III is starting. And so we're constantly taking in all this input, which is putting us into these different fight, flight, or freeze situations. We can't express them because in fight or flight, you actually express them by, you know, maybe you could go home and take a run and get some of those chemicals out of your system, but you're not going to be able to run away from supposed World War Three or a traffic accident, and you're not going to just charge out of your car and beat up the guy that reminds you of your ex, right? So, so we hold all this in, mm -hmm. in our system, mm -hmm. and that's what we experience as chronic stress. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you can talk yourself out of some of these states, talk yourself down from some of these states if they get really bad. Um, you can definitely use your breathing to help you calm. Doing it right now. Good. Even yeah. just talking about yeah. this is a lot, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I know. okay, I can turn the news off. This I can is like, not drive down day. that corner anymore. Yeah. You know, my brain is already going into like all of the other patterns <laughs> yeah. of like not dealing with those situations. Yeah. And the tension is still <clears throat> kind of there. Like unless, like maybe, okay, you know, I can check into the spa for three days. My stress level comes down. I can be ready to go be, be resilient again. But most of us don't have that kind of you know, resource or time that you could just take yourself away and disappear whenever you need it. So how do you build conditions in your body so you don't get triggered into those very familiar patterns? And then you just can have more bandwidth. So when it comes up, it's almost like there's um, an objectivity, but it's not really a mental objectivity. In part, it can be, but it's an experiential activity to what is happening in your environment so it doesn't have to run you. And and I think that's super adaptive and helpful, you know, and I agree with you. I think that we need to constantly be sloughing off the excess, you know, the things that aren't working for us, the trauma that we have in a day, because I do think a lot of us have a lot of trauma in a day where we're, you know, constantly just piling on and piling on and piling on. And we're not taking that time to go and see um, someone at like a therapist or a holistic healer or go for a walk. And or... it's pleasure. Yeah. So it's like it's like building capacity for pleasure and ease in your system. That's a huge part of what somatics does. I mean, there are somatic practitioners who specialize in sexuality or specialize in arts and creativity but all arising from this place of having enough safety, pleasure, and comfort in your body to let the inevitable strains of life move through you without taking you over and making you tighten up and hunker down. I like that, making room for pleasure. Yeah. 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 And so you have some offerings on your website under classes and workshops mm -hmm. you have a walking workshop a pelvic floor workshop a somatic movement class and pleasant posture yeah. workshops yep so can you talk a little bit about <clears throat> walking yeah as a continuation yes. of what we were just saying um 
walking is one of the best exercises you can do. I mean, there are ways to engage your upper body in it. There are ways to use your abdominals in it. It's really fitness oriented, but it's also really calming and good for your mind. But a lot of people don't walk because of knee pain or hip pain or ankle pain. And so what the three-hour walking clinic does is just identify very simple inhibitions inhibitions to really smooth gait and easy walking. And then when you have the tools to work with this, for some people, like I had one uh, woman who came to me and she went to the Acropolis. She went to Greece basically for like a month and she was in such pain. But just what we did in a couple of hours, she was able to just take that understanding. She had to repeat some of the explorations we did ongoingly, but she was able to walk without pain on her vacation. Um, another woman who had come to me um, was a Pilates teacher and a runner. And she over, she said in her own words, she overdid it. And so now she was in pain. And we did a session, maybe two sessions, and she walked around Montreal and walked 20 miles. So it's about how are you living in your body? Are you living in your body in such a way that you can let it feel pleasant because you're supporting the movement as it was intended to be? I love that. You know, I, I definitely love that. I think that, you know, as as humans, we are all just wanting the same things, right? We're wanting to be pain-free. We're wanting to live these happy and fortuitous lives um, that don't, you know, inhibit others or inhibit yeah. ourselves from having a freedom. And one of the really interesting things about current pain research is that acute pain is pain, but often chronic pain is just your body. It's like it had an alarm go off and it's forgotten how to turn off the alarm. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what I'm working with. Um, and for years I worked at Valley Medical in Greenfield specifically on pain with patients um, based on the idea that if you can create pathways of ease and pleasure and comfort, the pain signals of chronic pain learn to turn themselves off. I love that. Well, Donna, it's been really great to talk to you. Um, Donna Brooks was my guest today from Original Body Wisdom, and uh, you can find her in East Hampton on Northampton Street and also at OriginalBodyWisdom.com. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to the sponsors of this show. One of them is Greenfield Savings Bank, who is a mutual bank in Franklin and Hampshire County. Uh, they've been around for 154 years. They employ yours truly, um, so I appreciate them very much. Uh, doing a lot for the community in both of those counties and um, beyond. Also to Business West, um, who really provides us with a lot of great insight into the leaders and um, businesses, nonprofits in this area, all throughout the four counties of the region. Thank you so much, Business West, for all that you do, both online with your events and um, your biweekly newspaper. Finally, to Craig de la Pena, who is my neighbor in Florence. He is a uh, proud re realtor, a green realtor, um, won an award a few years ago for being the number one green realtor in the country. Mm. Also is a owner, a co-owner with his wife, Kathy, of the Sugar Maple Trailside Inn in beautiful downtown Florence. So I um, want to thank Craig so much for being a part of the Western Mass Business Show Magic. I'm Tara Brewster, and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today, Donna. Thank you so much thank for you. coming on, really. Um, I appreciate it, and I'll have to come see you again.
The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.